Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website at carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that Apple, Spotify, Acast. Today, I'm speaking to Martina Quinn, who's the Managing Director of Alice Public Relations, about the importance of storytelling and to discuss some of the contemporary trends in that whole area of storytelling. So you're very welcome, Martina. Maybe you could start off by if you'd introduce us um, to about your, your own career and how you ended up in public relations and what you do today. Uh, well, thanks very much for having me, Dermot. It's lovely to be here. Um, to tell you a little bit about my own background, I am from just outside Thurlis in County Tipperary originally. Um, and I suppose I always had a very strong interest in storytelling. Um, I was one of those children who loved staying up late and sort of reading with the torch under my duvet cover. Um, I was a complete bookworm, would read everything I could get my hands on as a child. Uh, and not surprisingly, then my favourite subject at school was English. And when it came time to leaving certain deciding what I wanted to do with my life I decided to go and study journalism at DCU Um, so in keeping with the the storytelling love I suppose Um, and so I I did the degree in journalism at DCU and after that I worked as a freelance journalist for a couple of years mostly focused on the sort of politics and public affairs side of things and at the same time I was working part-time in an in-house communications role with the political party and from there I got into an in-house communications role with the national charity with Aintus the National Adult Learners Network and I was their first ever communications team member Um, so that was really interesting sort of putting the infrastructure in place for for a charity to take a more proactive and professional approach to to communications and after a few years with Aintus then I moved into agency public relations and I worked with an agency for eight years before going out on my own to set up Alice. Tell us a bit about Alice Alice Public Relations because I see it a lot and so your your own public relations is quite good but maybe people mightn't be as familiar with with Alice you still what sort of things did you do? Um, so our purpose at Alice is to create change that makes Ireland and the world a better place. And we do that by delivering creative and ambitious communications campaigns for our clients. We work with clients almost exclusively in the not-for-profit sector, um, encompassing both charities and public sector organisations. Uh, and since the company was established in 2015, we've worked on campaigns, for example, to promote gender equality, climate action, LGBTQ plus rights, integration and anti-racism initiatives, Ireland's rich culture and history. So we do lots of really, really interesting work. Um, We were quite heavily involved in the coalition to repeal the Eighth Amendment um, from 2016 to the the time of that referendum in 2018. We developed the idea for the Work Equal campaign, which is focused on tackling workplace gender inequalities, and we still manage that campaign. And at the moment, to just give you a flavour, some of the clients we're working with, we're doing some really interesting work with the likes of Community Finance Ireland, uh, Education and Training Boards Ireland, the Immigrant Council and the Housing Agency. So a really nice mix. A lovely mix and, and, and quite quite different in the, the, the various remits. Um, like, like yourselves, we, we, we've been working with non-profits for a long time but, and they do fantastic work. But a lot of times um, they find it hard to let people know what work they're doing and why the work is important. So you might tell us about the whole area of storytelling and why it's so important to non-profits. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why storytelling is so important is because it makes 
people's work relatable. Um, so if you're working, for example, with a health charity and you come and tell me a whole load of statistics and um, facts and figures about that health issue and about the progress that's been made or the lack of progress being made, that's all well and good. But if you get a patient who actually has that health condition to come and tell me about their personal experiences and how they're finding it a struggle to access the supports they need or the healthcare they need or the funding they need, that has much more impact. Um, I think if you... Think about the history of humankind. Stories are embedded in that. Um, going back to you know the etchings on the walls of a cave in Stone Age times, that um, as a species we have this urge to tell stories, and they tend to be focused around the human experience. Um, it's not about some abstract ideals. It's about what happens to us as people. So for not-for-profits, I think that's um, it's a really good way of getting the people who need to know about your work to listen and to pay attention and to remember it. It's much easier to remember, well, I heard this woman on the radio talking about a disease that she has and this is how that manifested itself and how it impacted on her family. That's much easier to remember than the statistics or the the facts and figures. Because it is one, and we're right in the middle of the Good Governance Awards process now, getting entries in and constantly the feedback from judges is, they're great organisations, but you don't get a sense of their impact and um, the stories that they could tell because they don't utilise the rich resources that they have be able to tell very, very powerful stories. From your own experience, what, what are the common mistakes or, or pitfalls you've seen? Well, just as you said, Dermot, I think one of the things is that some um, non-profits, and this is no surprise because it's, it's not like they're all really well resourced, but sometimes they don't have the right systems in place to capture those stories. Um, so for media purposes, we'll always refer to stories as case studies, you know, the case study of, of the patient or the case study of the person who's overcome a big difficulty or who's achieved something great. But quite often, non-profits might not have put in in place a, a good system to just collate those stories get the details that they need and then when a media request comes in they're sort of scratching around trying to remember oh, who was that person who we encountered a year ago or you know where did we get their contact details now so that's a very basic thing um, I think another point I'd, I'd make here is that um, sometimes we make the mistake of assuming that a good story by itself is enough to warrant media interest um, you need to know how to package that story or that case study in a way that will appeal to the media um, so you could have a really really strong story that tells um, or highlights a very important issue but if it's not current or if it's not maybe aligned to something that's in the news agenda at that given time it won't necessarily attract media interest so it's maybe linking it to you know I mean homelessness is a good um, example at the moment there's not a day really that goes by that doesn't have a news story about homelessness or about a new government measure to tackle homelessness or an opposition party um, politician criticising something around homelessness. So you might have a very compelling case study about a family that's experiencing homelessness, but you link it to whatever is in the news agenda in that given week. So that making those connections is not is not good enough to have the, the strong story. It's getting that interest in, in, from those who would want to yeah, I pick think up on your story. Yeah, I think that makes it easier. It can be a hard slog to be going out to the media and just pitching. This is, a, this is a lovely story in itself. You might get some pick up eventually, but I think if you can link it to the news of the day, you'll have a, shot, a stronger shot. So what are the, come back to first principle, what are the basics of a good storytelling process for, for particularly say for non-profits to think and say we want to get better at storytelling what sort of the core things they need to think about I think um, like a lot of the principles of good storytelling are the same as the principles of good communications whether that's you know delivering a presentation or telling somebody's story or giving a media interview but I think the first thing is that good stories are clear and concise um, that they're not waffly or hard to follow uh, that they make clear points in an impactful way 
um, also that they would have a logical structure. So the, the thing that's been drummed into us probably since primary school, you know, that there's a beginning, a middle and an end to your story. Uh, one thing we need to be really careful of in um, any work that has a very sectoral focus is that we're not using jargon or sectoral terminology or abbreviations or acronyms that, you know, we might be using every single day of our lives, but to the general public, they don't make sense at all. So keep your language simple. Good stories also need to be compelling. They need to draw your audience in and appeal to their emotional side and evoke sympathy or empathy or anger, you know, that they're they're um, playing on people's emotions. Uh, they also need to be credible and authentic. So the person who's telling the story needs to be telling it in their own words about their own lived experiences um, or the experiences of somebody very close to them Uh, and obviously enough there shouldn't be any holes in the stories or factual inconsistencies or errors or anything like that so people need to be sincere and believable in their delivery. Uh, I said earlier on that the the reason why stories are important is because people can relate to them so obviously a, a good story needs to be relatable they need to find common points of interest or shared experience with the audience um, and maybe address universal themes or highlight a unique situation in a way that anybody can relate to it despite cultural differences or demographics or geography and then the final point I'd make about good storytelling is that they need to be relevant Um, so there's you know we go to parties or social functions every weekend maybe and hear really entertaining stories but that doesn't mean they're suitable for use in your work or or for getting your point across so I think if you are a non-profit who's considering using storytelling as a tactic you need to think about how it relates to the bigger picture of what you're doing and um, if you have a communication strategy in place does storytelling fit in under that does it help to meet your communications objectives if you're going to go out and tell this story is it reaching the audiences that you've identified as priority audiences and so on that's a very important message there and i think it links into the sort of what is the purpose for you what's the importance of having a clear purpose behind the story i think uh, well well it, it gives you that clarity you know and i would say this about any pr tactic that you can use storytelling is just one of many you know you you first need to decide who is it that we're trying to reach and why like what are we trying to get across so it might be that your organization really needs extra funding or you want to advocate for a new service or for a better service um whatever your point is you need to establish that first establish who are the people who need to hear that and then decide what's the best best tactic so storytelling might be the best tactic in one scenario in another scenario you might be much better to just go and meet politicians for cups of coffee and have chats with them about what you need in another scenario it might be to run an advertising campaign there's lots of or or you could combine elements of all of those in one you know but it's thinking in the world of PR and communications one of the mistakes that's commonly made is sort of just lunging straight into a campaign without having sat down and done that piece of the strategy. Who who are we trying to reach? Why? What are we trying to say to them? And what's the outcome we're trying to get to? Exactly. And I think yeah. so many things in having clarity around where you want to get to and why. It keeps you focused as well because, you know, you can get very diverted in the middle of a campaign and you can go off on tangents that maybe you never planned to. But if you have that focus agreed from the beginning and that purpose agreed from the beginning then that's your sort of benchmark that you can keep coming back to to make sure you don't get sidetracked. You, from your own work, would be very familiar with, with the sector. Um, and I, I keep telling people when they're thinking about the sector, while it's big in numbers, it is very small in scale. And um, I was just looking at something for I'm doing next week, but 85% 
of non-profits would have a turnover less than 1 million. And you can go down, like, if 50% would have less than 100,000 turnovers. So they're very, very small organizations. A lot of them wouldn't have a dedicated communications function. We've got one now, and I can sing the praises of having uh, Maeve as part of our team because it makes a huge difference. But it took a while for us, they say, we can afford that, but it has been transformative. But for smaller organizations that are struggling, what sort of tips would you give them to say, look, we know you may not have a dedicated communicator, but what things can they do to be smarter and effective in getting their message out? There's a few simple things that shouldn't be cost costly in any way. You know, maybe you, you put a bit of time into them, but they're, they're not, I'm not talking about spending loads of money. I, I think the first thing is to set up a system to record your stories and your case studies, and that could be an Excel spreadsheet. It doesn't have to be anything more um, complex than that. But make sure that everybody in the organisation knows that 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 system exists and that they can that there's a sort of process agreed whereby people can come across stories in their work whether you're delivering a frontline service or your back office support staff um, if you come across a story this is who you feed it through to this is who has responsibility for keeping track of that Um, and that would include the basics of getting people's contact details at the time and writing up a little synopsis of why their story might be useful in the future so then the next thing I think is uh maybe think about having a questionnaire for case studies who you come across and again that can just be a simple word document but that there is a a quick and easy way for you to capture the details that you need so you're getting somebody's name and address and their contact numbers and um, asking them whether they're comfortable to take part in media interviews for example or to be photographed or to speak at an event that you might be running Um, and then once you have people's permission to use them as case studies I think the next thing is to support them and make sure that they're going to have a positive experience Um, so uh, part of that is managing their expectations explaining to them exactly what is being asked of them so if you're asking them to come and participate in a photo call that they understand that there's going to be maybe a PR photographer there that there might be press photographers that their images might appear in the following day's newspapers or online um, that they're very clear on the ask if they're going to be doing an interview that you've prepared them well for that if you can afford it I'd always suggest investing in some media training for them which of course you can access through Carmichael Um, um, but uh, that they, they know what they're being asked to do in a really clear way and that they're briefed well, not just on how to tell their own story effectively, but also on any wider contextual issues that they might be asked about. So if you've launched your annual report or an impact report and they're going on to tell their story as part of that, they might be asked about some of the other findings from your impact report. So make sure that you've given them a sort of cheat sheet of key messages about your organisation's wider work as well. I think that very, very practical advice and I, and I would emphasize that getting that permission um, you may have collected your case studies but if the person said hold on I'm not comfortable or I, I, I'm not sure whether I want my name to be associated with that yeah. you know and actually just on that point Dermot another thing I would always say is that there needs to be an element of screening because I've had the experience in the past where people have been very willing to tell their stories but once you've spoken to them we'd always do a sort of screening call just have an informal chat with them almost as though we are the journalist but just teasing out this might be what you're asked about and then you have the call with them and you think they're they're not actually in a good place to go and speak to the media, although they might be dying to tell their story, but they could be vulnerable. And we know this in the nonprofit sector. You know, you are working with people who maybe have addiction issues or who are experiencing homelessness or who are survivors of abuse or whatever it might be that they're they're in quite a vulnerable position. So I think as the communications person or the person who's leading the communication side of the work you need to make those choices sometimes as well that or those decisions sometimes that this isn't the right thing for that person at that time very 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 important because you don't want 
be part of the the, the exploitation as well um, for your own ends, even though there might be noble ends, but yeah. you need to think of the the, the individuals in, in concern. So that screening thing, I think, is very good advice. Um, has there been changes in the whole way storytelling is evolving? You know, what are the sort of the contemporary things that you've seen that have evolved in recent years that people should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is that the platforms change more so than the, like, how to tell a good story. You know, it's, it's going back to the principles that we just discussed. Um, but obviously, with uh, the increased use of technology in all of our lives, the platforms are changing. So I think one trend I'd be very conscious of at the moment is, and this is great, it's a good thing for us all, uh, there's more outlets for where your story goes. So if you have a really strong case study, um, the media aren't necessarily always going to cover it or you know as I said it mightn't be relating to something topical now that we have our own shared media and owned media so our social media sites and our websites as organizations we can push the story out on that so if you've put work into you know identifying case studies maybe providing them with media training um doing a photo call with them you can use that on your own channels you don't have to be reliant on it going out to the media so I think that's a really positive thing uh the other thing I've noticed is um what I call sort of a trend of storyteller activists where you get case studies involved in your work and they move from just telling their own personal stories to using their stories to achieve real change and you can see that a lot in non-profits work Um, an example from a a campaign that we worked on recently for example was with Coalition 2030, um, who are a coalition of non-profits uh, working to keep pressure on the government to achieve progress around the sustainable development goals. And they launched a report recently in Boswell's Hotel in Dublin, and um, they had a service user from Rehab Care Limerick West speaking at that event. And he spoke about his own experiences as somebody with an intellectual disability, how he feels blocked from accessing the labour market, um, how he doesn't have a sort of living income to um, to survive on and to, to live independently in a, 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 a way that respects his human rights and that was really powerful and he told that story really well at the launch but then he came across to Leinster House with us that afternoon and went into the AV room there for a briefing with politicians um, and was able to tell his story to the politicians as well and as we have been talking about that that will resonate with them and stick in their minds more than just the facts and figures of the report. It sort of personalised it and sort of made, made it re- real. Yeah. yeah. You, you, the whole range of platforms is, is another challenge. So are there particular channels that work well or does it depend on going back to what the purpose of who you're trying to reach? Because I know here we've had discussions. We've been using Twitter, but we've seen a more shift in arts to LinkedIn, but we use Facebook and we use Instagram um, I don't know if we do TikTok, but but there are so many to think about. You know, what would your advice been there for a small a small nonprofit in terms of so we can't be everywhere? You've you've sort of answered it, Dermot. It is absolutely going back to the purpose and looking at who who are the audience we're trying to reach and where are they. Um, so if you're trying to reach a younger age group, then TikTok is a good idea. Instagram is probably a good idea. If you're trying to reach the more sort of political policy making um, audience, then Twitter and LinkedIn are probably a safer bet um and it's interesting that you're saying you're seeing a bit of a decline in twitter we we, i was talking about this with pr industry colleagues just last week um that people seem to be moving more towards linkedin because of all of the uh the changes that have have gone on with twitter in recent years yeah so again it is going back to matching 
your your what the purpose who you want to reach yeah and i think sometimes as well it might be thinking a little bit more creatively that you know maybe it's not the social media platforms or anything online and it's not media relations at all that you could do something that engages people in a different way like staging an exhibition having a concert collaborating with you know a theater company and incorporating storytelling into a play that's running as part of a theater festival or doing a public art installation that there's other ways of grasping people's imaginations that doesn't just have to be well what we put on social media or how we pitch this to the media and just as according to me we were talking about you know linking in with the media do journalists look at the social media said, oh, that could be an interesting story or that ties into an an article I'm working on. They do to a small extent, I think. I mean, probably no more than all of us, they don't have time to consume social media in that way. What I would notice a lot of journalists doing is using social media for shout-outs for case studies that they're looking for. So they might post on their LinkedIn or on their Twitter saying, I'm writing a story about adults who've gone back to, to education late in life does anybody have like case studies for me and that's where social media can be really useful for non-profits as well so make sure you're following journalists who write about the issues that your organization works on and, and keeping an eye on their social media you know just thinking about some of the more recent sort of good stories does it one or two stack out have said this was a good campaign that was built on a good story to sort of as an example of ones that you said yeah this is it could be ones that alice has been involved in but just to sort of people to say look and say oh see what they did here yeah I mean there's lots and there's there's lots of different ways um, of approaching it uh, one of our clients who has used storytelling really well recently is Education and Training Boards Ireland um, who are the representative body for the ETBs the Education and Training Boards around the country uh, and obviously their whole remit is to promote their education and training offerings and they cover everything from you know cradle to the grave in terms of the age group that they're they're targeting but they've they've created some really nice videos in the past year that tell the stories of learners who have gone through the ETB system Um, and what they did was paired well-known high profile personalities who are alumni of that system with uh contemporary learners so you had somebody like Ray Kennedy from RTE News and he went back to where he had studied the the FET college where he had first studied journalism and he's walking through the halls and he's talking to somebody who's currently studying there um you had the singer Tolo Mackay and she's back where she went to school and she's talking about her experiences there and what she liked about it and she's meeting a young student who's really into music and and talking to him about his contemporary experiences so that type of storytelling is really powerful and they package that really really nicely with a, a really nice I mean a video sort of doesn't do it justice it's like a little short film um you also have things like um the Immigrant Council are one of our clients, as I mentioned, uh, and some of the stories that they have highlighted, um, it's in a much more hard-hitting way, I suppose, where they're highlighting a person's story and looking for a legal or policy change as a result of that. Um, so there was the example during COVID of um, the stories of some people who were being impacted because the government had placed a pause on family reunification visas. So people had travelled to Ireland to work here on the understanding that their family would be entitled to come and join them. Some of the workers were frontline HSE workers, you know, so battling COVID um, and doing such important work and doing such a service to us as a country um, and they were denied access to or their family was denied access to come and join them um, for for several 
for two years effectively during the, that whole lockdown period and the Immigrant Council highlighted some of those stories and ultimately the, the, the ban on those visas was lifted um, so yeah you can use stories in all different ways it can be you know they can and, and I think we were all so conscious of that from the, the two big referendums in Irish life in the past decade you know the marriage equality referendum and the, the abortion referendum where people's personal stories were shared um, sometimes on both sides of the you know whether you were pro or anti um, but that, that they really helped people make up their minds about which way to vote Yes because yes, it made a real for a lot of people you know the, these are the I know these people. I know I meet these people, so I can and it's really... so true to life. You can be, you know, and I, I mean, I think it's really pertinent at the moment with all of the um, anti-migrant sort of sentiment and the rise of the far right that you can hear people saying, "Well, I don't want foreigners in my backyard. I don't want them living beside me. I don't want refugees in the hostel down the road from my kid's school." But actually, when they meet people and talk to them face to face and get to know them, you know those barriers are broken down very easily so um yeah i think i think the more the more we hear those personal stories and the more we can relate to them as a society um the the better it will be for us all one final question and i asked all my guests this one you know it's my magic wand question um what would be your top three wishes for the sector say looking back in five years time that would would have um happened in the over those five years well, I think if I was being really idealistic, I'd probably say that um, the sector almost doesn't need to exist anymore because we've become so well-resourced as a country and as a society that we don't have a need for um, not-for-profits to step in and do the job that the state should be doing. But I think uh, I think we won't achieve that in five years, unfortunately. So um, being a little bit more realistic, um, I do think... I feel really strongly about the fact that non-profits throughout the country provide really vital services um, and they're often doing it because the state has failed to do that so I think what they should be getting is proper recognition from government by way of good funding sustainable funding that you're not going cap in hand every year to see if your charity can exist for the following year um, so that there's multi-annual funding and that there that funding ensures that they can be properly resourced and that their staff can enjoy the same pay and working conditions that staff enjoy in the public sector or the private sector indeed. Um, So that would be one wish. Um, I think then sort of aligned to that, I'd love to see greater public understanding of the charity sector. Uh, We did some work in recent years with the WE Act campaign, and I'm sure you've seen that research, Dermot, where they surveyed members of the public about their understanding of charities. And um, there's very mixed results. You know, there's strong support for charities in a local context, there's some suspicion about national charities and people are a little bit sceptical about what they do. So I'd love to see a better understanding that charities deserve that type of multi-annual funding, that they are really professionally run, that they're not run by volunteers solely, you know, that the people in there are experts in their field, that they deserve to be getting a good wage. Um, and that, yeah, that, that there's an understanding that they're, they're a vital part of our, our life, really. Um, and then my third wish, and it's probably a more selfish one, but it's going back to some of the points we've made earlier, is that I'd love to see that understanding of strategic communications embedded in every nonprofit organisation. So back to your question about the purpose behind everything, you know, that everyone sort of took that approach and we're trained to take that approach and to recognize that communications isn't something that you bring in you know 
after a crisis has happened or after you've gotten lots of funding or you know after you've decided what your campaign is going to be that communication should be there around the decision making table all the time um, so I'd love to, to build up that understanding and for us in Alice to be um, involved in as many exciting campaigns in the next we're going to be 10 years old uh, in two years' time, so that we, uh, I'd love us to to still have the opportunities that we're having to work on really exciting um, strategic communications campaigns. That's been excellent. Really, really, thank you, Martina, for that. Some from very, very helpful advice, and um, you know, in the, talking of the importance of of st- storytelling for for the sector, and even on that last one, I think people can relate to individual charities they may have a connection with, whereas charity sector tends to be. I, not really sure what they're doing or what the value is so we have that constant challenge in the sector to remind people about what we're doing why we're doing it and the importance of the work that that the charity sector does so communications is core to that and strategic communications takes to that level of sort of being clear about why we're doing it and the purpose so thank you very much it's really enjoyed our conversation thanks for having me do it thank you for listening to our latest carmichael governance podcast we hope you enjoyed it if you did It would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, Slán Gafol. Thank you.